millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello again and welcome to episode three of the Crash GP podcast. Now, a quick caveat for this episode and a quick apology if the tech breaks on us ever so slightly. Pete, as ever, is stuck in Thailand at the moment. Keith, somewhere in the UK. And this week, I was actually in France. Sadly, not at Le Mans, but at Paul Ricard having to deal with, well, circuit Wi-Fi. But don't let that deter you from a brilliant show we have coming up for you as MotoGP once again puts on an excellent show in France this week for the Grand Prix in Le Mans. In the build-up to the weekend, I don't think I've seen as many crashes across the categories in any racing series. But despite the challenges that the weather brought to the circuit, we got underway with conditions still changing for the Sunday race and seeing off the rest of the field was the the Ducati of Jack Miller ahead of Joan Zarco and Fabio Quartararo recovering from his arm pump surgery in third. Well, here to discuss it with me, as always, is, of course, Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider, British champion and commentator Keith Hewen. Gents, let's get stuck in straight away, shall we? And start with our race winner, Jack Miller, who makes it back to back wins. But it wasn't an easy ride for him, was it, Keith? No, you're right, Harry. What surprised me, first of all, is that you haven't seen that many crashes where you've not been to Le Mans at a motorbike meeting, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Le Mans really is always not. the one with the most amount of crashes during the course of the year. And it was a Frenchman last year, I think it was. I think this is on crash as well, Pete. It's obviously one of your editorials that uh, Zarco holds the record for the most amount of crashes last year. And I think the year before as well, I think I'm right in saying. Mm. So there's a man that um, was looking forward to one perhaps this weekend. But Jack Miller... Who predicted him last week on crash? I can't remember now. But anyway, he looked great through the week. You've got to remember he has good background at uh, Le Mans as well from the Moto3 days. He was very good on a Moto3 bike round. It's spectacular into record him on the last turns 13 and 14, the last two on the track. It's a track that works for him. It's a track that works for Ducati, particularly in the wet. And despite all the shouting and screaming that we were all doing during the course of the day, it looked like we were going to get a dry GP race. And we end up with the first flag to flag in four years. And really, it kind of played into the hands of Ducati a bit because we knew they would be good in the wet and they looked good in the wet. The big surprise for me was how the man with probably the least amount of wet experience on a MotoGP bike, uh, Fabio Cotteraro, managed it so well because I think he wasn't looking forward to those iffy sort of transitional conditions, the ones where when you're chasing a track, whether it's, it's you're chasing it from wet to dry or dry to wet, really really difficult particularly on a track like Le Mans in that you know you make the mistake of pushing it a fraction too hard when the track is drying out and you fall down 
or if it's raining, then it's the other way around. It's it's very, very difficult. It's such a fine line. that I reckon Quattararo really, despite the fact Jack won it, was probably the man of the race. Well, I predict Quattararo, but sadly, that didn't quite come off on this occasion. Um, but actually on that, and talking Quattararo and Miller, both obviously on the podiums, and, and Pete, but both of them had... Uh, long lap penalties so what does that mean how can they possibly take a penalty especially middle with two and then come back and win it that doesn't add up in my book something's not right there that's right they got penalties miller and his teammate banyaya got the penalties for speeding in pit lane and quattro was for a, a rather amusing pit stop mistake where he he pulled into a teammate maverick vanales's area basically and then had to run over to his jump on his bike and and sort of escape um, yeah, the, the long lap penalties, they've, they've sort of been brought in because people don't like post-race penalties. You know, they want to see the result on the track. Uh, they do vary, obviously, from track to track, depending on where they put the long lap, exactly how much time you, you do lose. I guess the argument might be that, you know, Miller from the, from the replays, he looked like he was going about 10, 15 kilometers an hour too quick for pit lane. So, you know, what's the size of the time that he might have gained there? And then you lose a couple of seconds per long lap. But as you say, it made absolutely no difference in the end. He he was already in the lead, effectively, having served those penalties. So, yeah, it, it didn't uh, it didn't affect the result either for Quattararo with his single lap penalty as well. But Keith, surely that think, means the penalties aren't really working. Well, the problem is, is that the long lap was brought in basically because if you were given a, a ride through, too long, particularly at somewhere like, you know, all the pit lanes are so variable in their lengths and the like. Um, you can even have different speed limits. There aren't, I don't think, in MotoGP, but they're all around 60Ks. But the fact is, is that Le Mans particularly, A, it's a tricky pit lane to get into. It's really, really tight when you're coming off what is the old 24-hour course and the like. You're going bumping across things and, and, and the like. It's very, very tricky to get into pit lane. And then it's a massively long pit lane all the way out to effectively turn three at the top up by the Dunlop Bridge. Um, so the penalty would be huge and it would wreck a race. It would wreck a race. What we had in this situation was Jack Miller was chasing Fabio Quattararo, did a long lap, dropped back a little bit from Fabio, almost caught him, did a long lap, back in the race. It wasn't, it didn't kill the race. And I think, you know, I think MotoGP are very mindful of not completely destroying a race through through penalties. He paid his penalty. I don't know what the problem would have been, Pete, whether they both Ducatis for some reason or another didn't flick their, I mean, it might just be coincidence because I haven't heard anything from the paddock at all, but but it's, it's amazing that both the two factory Ducatis didn't flick the switch to be on the limiter in pit lane. I find that quite Bagnaia and, and, and Miller. I don't know why that would have been. Yeah, it, it does seem to be with Miller. It was definitely on the way into pit lane. So, as you say, it does seem like he just maybe, you know, with everything going on, didn't flick the, the button on in time. Um, and as he joked afterwards, he, he is used to getting speeding tickets in France, but usually that's on four <laughs> wheels. We all? Yes. So, uh, yeah, he wasn't, uh, he didn't actually know why he had the penalties. That was until after the race. You know, he just saw that, saw that he had to do them, did them, but didn't really know why. Did he look like well, he cared? I... <laughs> <laughs> well, on, no. on the, uh, the subject of pit stops, though, as well, and uh, Keith, brought this up earlier it's uh, been the first time in a long time we've had um th this sort of changing conditions in about four years as well and that really sort of meant the pit lane was all in kind of chaos really and then you compare it to other things like f1 for example where their pit stops are slick precise you know under two seconds long and the minute these motor gp bikes have to come in change tires change bikes it looks like 
I feel like organized chaos is almost a polite way of putting it. First thing you've got to be concerned about with a with a pit lane of motorcyclists is most of them are crook already. Most of them are already injured in some way, shape or form. So to start with, hobbling is like a sort of a, a course for motorcycle racers. So, you know, you've got Morbidelli who'd already got a knee injury. I mean, when he was doing his practice for pit lane for, for the flag to flag, everyone was doing practices yesterday. It's like this, pardon the pun, it's like a knee jerk reaction. But for him, it really was a knee jerk because he fell off one bike and fell into the other one. Um, and again, today, he's hurt himself again today. That knee is obviously giving him some stick. But there, as you know, being a bit of a car man, Harry, that it is critical. Yeah, when you're fighting for thousands of a second on the track in a MotoGP, and it is thousands now. It's to, I'm, I, I've been a campaigner for four decimal places for some time because we're, we're, we're getting times that are, are equal to three decimal places quite often now in MotoGP and the other classes. Um, when you've got thousands of a second you're dealing with, you would think that they would just be a little bit sharper on how they can gain a tenth or two in pit lane because it is a bit of a mess. Now, granted what I just said, Le Mans is tight coming in, but once you're on pit lane, it's not a bad place. It's not not too narrow um, down pit lane. It's not like Phillip Island, for instance, where it is carnage. You know, you've got that horrible tight left-hander of Phillip Island coming onto, onto the pit lane, and then you've got tiny, tiny areas to get yourself sorted out. So... Um, but you would think that they would practice it more. I mean, let's talk about Red Bull Racing, for instance. I mean, how, how often do the Milton Keynes guys, you know, they're pushing the car in with all their guys and whip, 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 changing all the wheels. And they practice that and practice that and practice that. And I often wonder why, you know, MotoGP don't. I mean, you see, you know, they, they give it a bit of a nod on a Saturday or a Friday if they think the weather's going to turn over the weekend. They might all have a bit of a go at it. But the variation in how, how it's done... Even from an organisational point of view, it's been changed over the years. I mean, they've tried different angles of where the bikes are. These are You can't just park your bike out the front of the garage. There is a specific way, specific angle that these things are, are lined up in pit lane as per the rules. And now you've got to touch the ground between them. There were times like, you know, the, the end that he is, Mark Marquez used to leap off of one bike onto the other. And there was a time when the mechanic would be holding the clutch in with it already in gear. All that's been been wiped out now. It's much more strict as far as what you can do. Um, of course, this supposes somewhat that you actually pull into the right garage, as in the case of Quattararo, of course, pulling into Vinales' garage and then getting a long lap penalty for running around his bike, like you've already said. But the worst thing for that was all the mechanics, they're waiting there with his bike. Then they've got, a, some of them have got to run around and collect his bike that's now blocking up Vinales' garage. So it wasn't just the rider that had to do the little dance around everything. Um, it was also the mechanics, so I felt a bit sorry for those guys as well. But it, back to it without all the waffle. Um, it's a bit of a mess still in MotoGP pit, pit stops. I mean, the flag to flags are not something that it seems that everybody is quite as au fait with as perhaps they ought to be. And so something like this, I suppose, Pete, is going to make them think twice going forward in, in actually putting in that practice and putting in the hours to cover off stuff like this. Because, you know, this kind of race and, and results can make or break championships come the end of the year. That's right, Harry. Yes. And I mean, the other thing is, as you said, it's been so long that for a lot of riders, this was their first flag to flag race. You know, they, they, I guess it's a bit like a penalty shootout in football. You can practice it. But when you're when you're there in the stadium in the World Cup final, it's a different thing. And uh, yeah, certainly I think a lot of the riders that hadn't done a flag to flag race before will learn from, from what we saw today. And I'm sure that they will have a lot of the questions that, that we're talking about here. They will be speaking with their teams and going, hang on a minute, we lost a lot of time there, or we could have done that better. What were the outlaps like, the in laps? Where, where did we lose time? 
Um, because as Keith's saying, you know, th- th- this is all easy seconds that you're giving away. Yeah, and look who took advantage of it brilliantly. Again, Honda, you know, since their Phillip Island debacle a few years ago, where they didn't bring up, you know, Marquez in on time. So he actually got a massive penalty for that. But um, they've really got it worked out. And Mark Marquez, even with that shoulder, he was in and out. He gained a place straight away. He gained position in pit lane. Now, you shouldn't be able to do that. If everyone's on their game, you shouldn't be able to gain places. And he did. He went out, led the race, and all of a sudden we thought, ah, Marquez, he's back with a 25-pointer here because I thought he was going to clear off in the distance at that point. Which kind of brings well, us to the subject. I'll ask the question, Harry, if you like. You know, No, please do. You're leading us straight there. Well, have we got, a, have we got the real Mark Marquez back? Or, Pete, I'm going to ask you this because you're slightly longer in the tooth, I think, than Harry. I hope I haven't insulted you. But, um, <laughs> but the point being is, that have we got a Freddie Spencer syndrome here? An absolute alien until he hurt himself and never really looked like the same guy again. Mark Marquez didn't look like the Marquez that we all know and love. He just doesn't look like he's able to save what he could save every session almost in the past. It's something, either mechanically things aren't quite the same for him, he's not got the feel he had, or mentally uh, is, is a problem for him, and he's not quite across everything that's happening at the moment. And the look on his face, have you ever seen him sit back on his pit box with his head in his hands? I, I don't think I can remember. Marquez, the mark of Mark Marquez, he would never show you weakness. He would never show you that he's in pain. He would never show you anxiety. Absolutely. You've seen him where he's almost got his legs stuck up his backside. And he would, he would even hobble in a more dignified manner than, than anybody else, just to show everybody that he was not going to be, in, that, you know, this is what you were dealing with. You were dealing with Marquez the Great, the tough. But to see emotion from him in that pit box, you know, that's a couple of times this year we've seen that. And I've, I have to say it's a, di- it's a dynamic I've never seen from him before. And it's sad to see for me. I mean, I'm you feel for him. You feel for the kid. Yeah, I think he... he... Exactly as you're saying, Keith, when he was talking just about an hour ago, you know, he said he knew he, he he blew a big chance today. You know, he had the, as you say, the, the shoulder is, is obviously playing up a lot. He's not able to ride as he wants. The bike isn't as he wants either. But there he was leading the race. You know, he managed to, to get himself there. He had the chance. Then he made the mistake. Although, as he said, it, the, the, the first crash didn't actually disappoint him too much. It was a weird off, off throttle, off the brakes rear tire thing he said what what really disappointed him was the second one because he said he didn't realize he was the fastest guy on the track and you know he still had time to to make up positions then the race wasn't over and he was planning to come in and and change the slicks he said he'd he'd indicated to the team he was going to go for that and and you know who knows what might have happened but yet that's what he told us at least was that his biggest disappointment was the second crash but Absolutely. Today was a big missed opportunity. That strikes me as anxiety. He's just had a little bit of anxiety there that he just, you know, he just wanted to go a little bit too fast too soon, whereas he would have managed. These kind of conditions would be made for the likes of Mark Marquez normally. He'd ride that six-inch drying line that no one else could get near and make everybody look silly. Yeah, the only place, the only guy that ever gets near to that is is really Jack Miller of all people. He'll stick a slick in when it's still damp or whatever it might be. But but Marquez has been magnificent in that area for so long. We've kind of taken it as standard, 
Um, and all of a sudden, everyone's beginning to doubt slightly. And I wonder, wonder how much he is. Cole, as you, as you, yeah, it's, it's so much a mind game, isn't it? As you say, Keith, when you when you you maybe especially with MotoGP as close as we always we always say it is, you know, when you just have that little bit of doubt in your mind that. You know, that, that, that's not what you need, is it? You know, you need to believe that you've got everything ready, everything that you need to perform. And I think it, I th- I think it did, you know, it did knock him quite a lot. I think he saw that, as you say, these are his conditions. There he was back at the front, first time since Valencia 2019, leading a race. And then suddenly it all got pulled away from him twice, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, you could see it wasn't what he expected. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's certainly been a lot more complicated this comeback than we thought. You know, we thought it would be get the physical strength back, but we're seeing bike is still not working as he wants. He's having to change his, his riding in the corners. I mean, you know, wh- when are we going to see the Mar- Marquez that we know come back? You know, what's it going to take? I think we'll see him, but I don't know when it will be. And I don't know whether it will be as consistently brilliant as perhaps he has been in the past when it comes to being able to save the kind of things he's been able to save. Where is he now? 64 points behind, 17th place in the championship. You know, yeah, someone like Marcus can make that up, as it is at the moment. Everybody's stealing points off of everyone else. So, you know, Marquez, if he was his usual brilliant self, he could end up winning the, the world title still this year. Having said that, Harry, you'll get a word in it. <laughs> is the championship might be shorter than we actually think it will be because this COVID business is ramping up again around the world. Thailand has got a major problem. Pete and I both know Thailand very well. We have friends there. We have family there. And and at the end of the day, that might not be on the cards. Australia, I'm sure they're going to keep their borders shut. We've just lost Finland, not because of COVID particularly, as far as I'm aware. But anyway, Finland's gone. So we've got two Austrian rounds now. That Again, the Styrian Grand Prix has... You know, it's a, it's, it's a shame that one of the most funded and able um, tracks on the calendar is not one of the most attractive from a riding motorcycle point of view. Um, the old Ostrike ring would have been. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, Get me mean, that on. is a very good point. And I, and I wanted to chime in on this as well, because call me naive. But yes, it was obviously a bad result for Marquez this weekend and you could see that mentally it really affected him with that it's a great picture as well of his head in his hands or with helmet in his hands right at the end but surely the fact that he had that huge accident had to take so much time out of racing and come back mentally and physically we're still pretty early on in this season so to be riding right up there and showing a steady pace of improvement from the very first round it's not like he's going downhill he is improving with every single race incrementally surely that's actually a good sign and yes this is a quite a tough race to swallow him but it was tricky conditions either way and surely you could say that actually this is a good thing for him because it, it will make him learn properly and then he could come back fighting because we are seeing now marquez he is up there challenging for podiums and wins if you'd seen anybody else if it had been any other name on it larry then you absolutely spot on you know, anybody else that was riding as good as he is even now, then you would say, oh, look at this kid. But mm. it's Mark Marquez. Expectation is massively high, both in his head and in ours, and everybody watching, and all the riders mm. watching, and all the teams watching. Mark Marquez is a phenomenon. He is the phenomenon of that paddock. Um, and for him to be showing a little chink in his armour at the moment, we'll see where it all heads from here. I'm not writing him off, I have to say that straight away. 
Well, uh, talking of expectation, let's look a little further down. Uh, and we talked about him a lot last week. Valentino Rossi, 11th out of 16 finishes. Um, uh, not, it was not the improvement that I think everybody was holding their, their fingers crossed for. Everyone was saying Le Mans is, don't worry, Le Mans is when he's going to be coming back on, on it. But Keith, it just hasn't worked out for him, has he? And, and something's still not right. And it doesn't look like it's getting any better anytime soon. No, I mean, it, again, another great motorcycle racer. He, you know, he is the GOAT, the greatest of all time up to now. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that perhaps write him off a little bit too soon. But it does look like 2021 is going to be the year um, that may well be his last year. You know, the, the performance in difficult conditions. I mean... These motorbikes, they're, they're perhaps easier to ride now. Uh, there's a, a distinct difference between riding a motorcycle and racing a motorcycle. I mean, these bikes are much easier to ride now than ever. You will have heard it before about the two strokes and no electronics and all the rest of it. These bikes, anybody can get on them and ride them. But to race them, to get them close to the edge, you've got to be a bit special. Valentino Rossi is still very, very special. But that degree, that one degree, that that point naught or naught point one degree perhaps that he's off the pace and it is costing him um i i genuinely thought he would be somewhere thereabouts this weekend and with the iffy conditions and all the experience he has i genuinely thought he would be i thought he'd be top six for certain um we don't know the reasons yet I, i've not seen the press you know i didn't do the briefing afterwards the debrief afterwards to, to see what what reasoning was behind it but the whole Patronus team had an absolutely crap weekend. It's got to be their worst weekend in ages. Morbidelli as well as as, as Valentino. I mean, I, uh, you know, by their heady standards from when they first came in, this is one of the worst weekends they've had. Um, yeah, well, well, and it's very sad to watch at the moment. You've got the, the, the biggest man in the sport, bar none. Doesn't matter about even, you know, people might think Marcus is the biggest, but he isn't. It's still, it's Valentino Rossi globally. Um, you know, it's... I won't say it's sad to see because it happens. You know, we get to this point with, with all right, all sportsmen, doesn't matter what sport it is, we get to this point at some stage. Um, could he have guessed it? Could he have headed it off? Maybe. Maybe next year when he comes back with whatever team he's deciding on running and whatever motorbikes that is going to be in and will, you know, Valentino Rossi will take on a new stage. Certainly, you know, it is what it is. I just want to, you know, be grateful for what we've seen from Valentino Rossi and hope, fingers crossed, that he that he manages to pull something out of the bag before he decides to uh, call it a day. That's where I am with, with it. I feel sad. I, think I feel slightly emotional saying yeah. stuff like that. I, I mean, I always hate journalists that pick on riders, particularly. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter whatever standard you're at, whatever whatever you are, every rider out on the racetrack, whether it be British Superbike, World Superbike, you know, Grand Prix, of course, you know, it's the, it's the pinnacle Grand Prix. MotoGP is the pinnacle for me. Um, every one of those riders is putting everything they have in their heart, soul, and physique into what they're doing. It means everything. There isn't a degree. It's not, well, we can go down the pub tonight and enjoy it, or whatever it is. Everything goes into it. I remember what it was like for me, even at my level, to where, and it won't be any different for Valentino. He will be sitting there at the moment, and he'll be feeling terrible because it means so much to everyone out there. So I get slightly annoyed when cheap shots are being fired at, at any rider you know tito rabat you know tito rabat you get a point actually let me have a look see if tito got a, yeah he got the last point tito rabat can ride a bloody motorbike there's no doubt about that 
um, but he gets stick all the time. Uh, but he's actually probably more important than that. Let me have a quick squint on here. Where did Tito Rabat? He was a minute, a minute after 27 laps. He was a minute away from the bloke who won the race. Yeah, some of you internet trolls ought to give that a go sometime. See if you can get within a minute of the Grand Prix race winner. <laughs> well, just just on uh, on Valentino, uh, Pete. You know, we, we're not quite sure if there's any explanation that. Have you managed to hear anything post race from them or the team? Any indication? He said that he he felt confident if it was fully wet. He had quite a good warm up. The warm up was soaking wet, and he, I think he was seventh fastest. And so he he felt like. They, they'd made some steps there and he could at least be in the fight. But then they had that nightmare first lap. He was talking about the Petronas team, you know, where, you know, Morbidelli and, and Pole sort of had a bit of a tangle. And then, you know, Morbidelli speared off the track and Rossi got sort of bumped wide. And I think he dropped, I think he dropped about four or five positions in that moment there. You know, it's almost like he just can't get a break at the moment. You know, he, he, he was somewhere near, you know, top 10, something to build on in mixed conditions. And then already, you know, he's back in 13th and et cetera, et cetera. So, and yeah, and it seemed like in the mixed conditions and in the dry, he just didn't have the pace to, to sort of challenge beyond that. So, yeah, I mean, he, he felt like he made progress at the Jerez test, um, but with the mixed conditions this weekend, didn't really get a chance to see it. Whether Mugello will be a, you know, a completely stable weekend for the weather so that he can, you know, work on the bike and, and see is that a direction to go in or not? Who knows? But it'll be a huge weekend for him. Obviously, his home round. There'll be a lot of questions about his own future, a lot of questions about the future of his team. You know, will they go with, it seems like, 50-50 Yamaha or Ducati next year? And that also has implications for the team he's in now, of course. Um, you know, if they take the Yamahas, what will Patronus use? So, yeah, it's it's going to be a big few weekends for Rossi in, in, in many areas, you know, not just his own career, but also his team as well. I think that underlines the Yamaha situation at uh, Le Mans. I think that underlines how, is why I said right at the beginning of this conversation that Quattararo pretty much was my man for, you know, gets the man of the match really because they hadn't, none of the Yamahas had really worked out that uh, transition from uh, wet to dry, dry to wet. Iffy conditions were where the Yamaha was really having difficulty in hooking up. I think, at the, you know, getting that drive out of the, out the corners was, was, was an issue for all of the Yamaha men and Quattararo kind of overcame it in the race. They weren't expecting any of the Yamahas they needed it to be dry, the Yamahas. The Yamahas, you know, I think you were right, Harry, in what you said last week, that, um, yeah, Quattararo could have dominated had it been dry. Um, but when the, the, the conditions are, you know, half wet and cold, then then that then throws a real spanner in the works for all of the Yamahas. So I think Quattararo overcoming it as well as he did in this race was was quite brilliant. Uh, yeah, no I, think, I think he ticked two boxes in this race. Exactly what you say, Keith. I think that, first of all, the arm pump didn't come back. So that must be a big relief to him. You know, first race since that operation. So big relief, that seems to have worked. And secondly, as you say, Keith, he had a really bad race at Le Mans last year in the wet. He was struggling this weekend in kind of the wet mixed conditions. If you want to be a world champion, you're going to have to, you know, perform in, under those conditions. And you could see the delight after the race. It was like he'd won it, wasn't it? He, and I think that's maybe why. Maybe it was more important in terms of the championship, a second place in those sort of crazy, iffy conditions than another runaway win in the dry. You know, he now knows he can be a contender, whatever the conditions now. Well, while we're on the subject of teams, I want to quickly sort of sidestep to uh, Aprilia as well. And Keith, you were saying before we came on air, interesting to see both both riders packing up. And 
it's an unusual for Aprilia because they've been relatively consistent and, and you know on the pace so far this year. I mean, not quite sure uh, the reasons so why both both bikes packed up. Well, it was double disappointment, wasn't it? Because Savadori, uh, you know, all the detractors and all the people throwing mud at him because Bradley Smith obviously lost the ride and Savadori came in. And a few people scratched their head and wondered why Savadori would, would be the guy that, that comes in alongside Alasia Spargo. Um, he proved that he can ride a motorbike <laughs> this weekend. He came through from qualifying one into, he went from Q1 into Q2. Um, looked pretty good, particularly in difficult conditions. Again, I think the Ducati does perform quite well at Le Mans in, in the wet conditions or the wetter conditions. And he was first out with a smoky motorbike. Um, so I don't quite know why that, by that, I mean, it, it looked like it had thrown its lunch up. So I don't quite know what happened with that. Um, and then we had, you know, Alasia Spargro, who continu continues the misery of Alasia. He's going to be like Victor Meldew soon, isn't he? He's always, he's always got, a, you know, quite a, quite a miserable face on at the moment. He doesn't seem to be very happy about quite a lot of things. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And the brother Pole, of course, he's not been... He's been kicking off about the Honda um, development areas as well. I should think they must must be a right pair of brothers to go and sit and have a cup of tea with. Not. <laughs> Pete, anything to pick up there from, from trackside? Did the Prilia come out and say anything afterwards or are, we, are they leaving us in the dark? No, they left us in the dark. Alish would just say it was a technical problem. He said they know what it is, but that's that's where it's saying. Uh, he said he, he did say that he'd had a, an engine problem earlier in the weekend as well. We do know that they're the only team that are allowed to develop their engine during the season. So whether they were trying something new this weekend, who knows? And, and you know, that brought issues somewhere. We don't know. Um, but of course, Alasia's got issues of his own in that he's going to be going for arm pump surgery on Monday morning. Um, he said, he, although he didn't have any problems in this race, he did have them in Jerez like Quattararo. And so now he's going to, you know, he's not convinced that he actually needs the operation because he, you know, the race was okay today. But he said, you know, he's got to remove the doubt because if he goes to Mugello, a previous home race, and he's, and he's, he's on, on for a good result and then he has arm pump, he's going to feel terrible. So he said, you know, surgery is not something you take lightly, but he, he feels he's got no choice. So I think it's, yeah, 8 a.m. Monday morning, he's, uh, he's having surgery. He just wants a matching scar like all the other heroes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make light of it, I suppose. Really, it's a, it's it's funny how I I was listening to some of the guys today that were coming across some of the broadcasts that that, that you know kind of like it's somebody said it's not invasive surgery. I thought, hang on a second, there's a dirty great knife and a dirty great slit up the inside of your arm, and they slice the sheath that holds the muscle. Oh, that's not invasive. I don't know what their interpretation of invasive is. Um, but you're right about Quattararo. It was good to see him so happy about. The fact that I mean the relief was in his face really wasn't it as he came through on the on the slowing down lap into part firme I mean I, you know Jack Miller goes from arm surgery to winning a ref and everybody says watch out when Jack Miller comes to Le Mans after that win I think Cal Crutchlow had said as well um, somewhere I, I read somewhere that Cal had said you watch him now it's he's going to really go for it when he gets here and sure enough Cal knows his onions doesn't he. Well, um, I think let's, really, I I think it's really his wife. His wife tells him everything, and then he he thinks he knows everything, <laughs> but it's Lucy who tells him really. Well, I, I want to come back in um, 
towards the end and finish off with a bit of talk on course ride. But I just want to take a quick sidestep uh, to Moto2 and Moto3, if I may be so bold. Um, and if we kickstart with uh, Moto2, Ralph Fernandez on top, Remy Gardner and uh, Marco Bezzecchi uh, third. But for the Brits, Jake Dixon, Sam Lowe's not a particular weekend they'll be wanting to remember anytime soon uh, you're so polite they? harry yeah, so polite. that's my role <laughs> it's bloody Go diabolical it down. terrible i mean sam sam's having moments at the moment where it, he kind of crosses over from the old sam rushing at it like a bull at a gate full of bravados and brilliance but puts himself in a position that trips him up that was the old sam to the one that absolutely dominates the track looks a class above everyone else and he can't quite kind of leave that that old sam behind and finds himself in that situation and if you want to add motor three into that i mean brilliant from john mcphee i mean i'm i think there are a lot of people around the world that were beginning to sort of well, I'll say get, getting fed up with hearing the same stuff from John. Um, he's clearly a great rider. Uh, he seems to, through qualifying, put himself in a position where he's got too many people around him after the start and gets tripped up occasionally. Two times this year, it's not been his fault, or has it really, because he's in amongst people he shouldn't be in amongst at the start. I know, matter three, you can rescue it from there, perhaps, but sometimes... It's all very well being able to come from the back to, to win a race, but you've got to go through a lot of people desperate to beat you on the way there. And if you get tripped up on the way, but to see that fourth place, should have been third. He had one little bobble where he ran it a little bit wide and he lost eight-tenths of a second on that lap. And if he hadn't had that one slip-up, I think McPhee would have been on the podium and we'd have all been screaming. So welcome back, John McPhee. The real John McPhee has just stood up again. And uh, hopefully that will continue and he'll, he'll go and win some races this year because he's well capable of it. I, it just doesn't seem to happen for John. It, I can't put my finger on it, Pete. I really can't. I mean, from a rider point of view, he kind of, when he's riding the motorbike and he's racing it on a Sunday, he's doing everything right. But I don't think you can excuse poor qualifying um, because that puts you in, in an area you really don't want to be in, which is a month. Uh, you know, amongst a bunch of axe murderers all trying to get under you and over you all in one go. And if you get tripped up or knocked off by somebody else, you know, if you hadn't put yourself in that position in the first place, then maybe it just might not have happened. Easy to say, of course. I mean, like massively easy to say. And I'm not being disrespectful at all. Um, but it's so good to see McPhee back on that quality form that we know he is capable of. Now, now all he needs to do is nail it together for the rest of the year because otherwise we're going to start worrying about where he goes next. And that's, that is a distinct worry at the moment with the amount of talent that's coming through underneath him, I suppose. Exactly, Keith. I think for several years, John has been looking to go up to Moto2, isn't he? And it, it hasn't quite happened. So, you know, but to make that move, as you say, it's so competitive. You need, you need to show that you are a regular race winner in Moto3 and, well, it was a tricky one, wasn't it, last year? Because he got blocked off by his compatriot. I mean, it was Jake, Jake Dixon who's basically blocked the blocked the Moto Two ride at Petronas that Jake, that John had got allocated to him effectively. But then they couldn't really let Jake go because suddenly Jake was showing great form. Um, that wrist injury he carried through the winter, though, seems to be probably more serious for him than than we'd all considered, and maybe even he had because his form this year has not been quite where we were expecting Jake. He hasn't made the step that we perhaps made, thought he'd make. 
Um, and to finish where he finished, he'll be bloody beside himself. You know, when you consider that last year, he all but won the race. He was the moral winner last year, although he did end up on his ear at the end of it all, which was a great shame. Well, uh, a slight surprise, perhaps, that uh, Costa uh, wasn't on the top step of the podium this weekend, but still a pretty impressive weekend. Nonetheless, he did cross the flag, uh, the checkered flag in eighth uh, after a, a bit of an off, only lost about 10 seconds, chucked him back down to 21st, then able to pick his way, crucially, back <laughs> through the field, cross the line in eighth and extends his championship lead. Do you see the way he falls off? He falls off like Mark Marquez used to. It's, it's a crash that doesn't seem to happen for about half an hour. Uh, and then it does. You know, as Marquez probably would have saved it, but Acosta's only 16. He hasn't quite worn himself into that saving it mode yet. But the front was under and he was on the floor and he was sliding along behind the bike. And I thought, any minute now, it's going to go brrr, and he's going to be back up on it. I couldn't believe it. And and I want to be Aki Ayo at the moment, the team owner stroke manager. He's just had a 1-2 in Moto2 and he's got... A rookie leading the Moto Two Championship in Rail Fernandez. He's got a rookie leading the Moto Three Championship in in a, you know, Pedro. It's funny, you know. We we talked a, a little bit about Acosta before, but I did a bit more because I'm not at trackside anymore. Um, I did a bit more digging for him. Joe, you know, he, he doesn't come from money. He didn't do the CEV Championship. He did the rookies. He's come the hard way, you know, Pedro Acosta. He's he's actually looking like the, the real deal. And he's a kind of, you know, he's a very serious kid. There's no doubt about it. You wouldn't think he was 16 when you hear him speak, that's for sure. But he's come the hard way. He's going really, really well. And he's increased his lead in the championship this weekend, even though he's had a, you know, what would normally take you out of the race completely. He's looking a bit like Mark Marquez, a young Mark Marquez. Yeah, but without all of the, I remember Mark when he was in the one two fives, it was just all action, wasn't it? It was, you know, you couldn't take your, the camera off him because wherever he was on the grid, there'd be, you know, bumping into people, people bumping into him, falling off, getting on, recovering. Whereas, whereas Acosta, you know, he fell off and the, the easy thing for a rookie to do, wouldn't it, would just be to sort of panic and, and try and make up all of the time he'd lost in one lap and fall off again. But he didn't, you know, he he, he kept calm, worked his way through despite those conditions and, you know, as you say, extended his lead. So under the circumstances, it was another test that he passed, if you like, of, of dealing with a different kind of pressure and, and still coming out, you know, with a bigger advantage than he went into the race with. That's the way to have a bad weekend, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly another very impressive drive from the youngster. Let's uh, flip back to MotoGP uh, as we sort of round things off. And I think we are really in for uh, a tight battle in the championship if, if it all carries on like this, because Miller is now just 16 points off of Quartararo, uh, and, and Quartararo, crucially, uh, although he didn't quite get the win, very nearly could have done, uh, as I would have predicted. But um, we spoke at it briefly as well. A great comeback for him in confidence after that arm pump surgery uh, to go forward from here. Three Ducatis snapping at his heels when we go to Mugello. This is a bit of an interesting one, isn't it? Um, mm. Sadly, Mugello is going to be a, a sterile environment for the first time in my life. I've never known it in the way it's going to be because if if you've never done Mugello on a MotoGP weekend Harry I mean there's a few of these tracks we're going to drag you around at when we get out of there when we get when oh, we get out of this sort of, this virtual stuff we're going to get you on the piss 
<laughs> Please, I'm Maybe dying Magello. for it. Magello would be a good one because you wouldn't sleep for days. I took um, two of my girls, two of my daughters to uh, Magello a couple of years ago. And and I think they and their mum think that I don't actually do any work because most of us are off on a bit of a jolly, aren't we, really? We're off to go motorbike racing and, and have a great time and get slaughtered every single night. And, um, of course, you you arrive at the track at, in the afternoon on a on a Thursday, stepping off your plane in your hire car and all the rest of it, and then you're at the hotel at 7.30, and then it all starts Friday morning. And this applies to races as well, and it might be a bit, a bit of insight for, for some of the guys that um, perhaps haven't been around racetracks or been around races at all. You, you start at maybe... 5 30 6 o'clock in the morning by the time you get out first you've slept in a bed that you don't know there's always been someone banging against the walls or knocking them you know making a row in the hotel or outside the hotel so you never get any bloody sleep anyway so you have to be used to not getting any sleep get up in the morning really early drive to the track do all your bits and pieces um sort of 5 30 6 6 30 that evening you, you, you you've had your day you go back to the hotel grab something to eat go and do your prep um then the next day, qualifying day, which is the longest day for everybody. It's a long day, qualifying day. Bearing in mind that we're talking about Magello here that's got a goat track to get in it and out of it. So it always means that it takes you hours to get in and hours to get out, particularly on race day, obviously. So then you come to race day. Now, if you don't leave the hotel at sort of, I don't know, 5 o'clock, 5.30, you ain't getting in in time to actually be doing your job. So you've got to leave early. So you arrive there. So my girls, by this time, they're hanging. <laughs> they, they are my best advert when I got home. My wife actually believes me now when I say we do work. And it's the same for the rider. I'm not trying to give myself sympathy because I'm not, because I enjoy every minute of it. And it, it, I can only fall off a chair rather than fall off a 225-mile-an-hour motorbike nowadays. But the fact of the matter is, is that come Sunday, racers are in the same situation as, as us. We are worn out. by When they need to be at their very best on the Sunday, that's when they're now tuck it out they've come to the it's the third fourth day that they've been doing stuff they've been doing pr they've been doing all the stuff that goes on around it it's a really hard job not to mention the physicality of it for a racer you know i, I saw someone a twitter troll that was having a go i think he was having a go at Alash at some stage because he was he was late for a, a press thing no it was a journalist that was it that's what really got me wound up a journal was having a go about Alash having a massage do these people have any clue what a rider's body goes through racing a MotoGP bike? Clearly not. Otherwise, this established journalist that's been at the trackside for I don't know how long wouldn't have dared to go there. And, and Aleish had the temerity to be late because he was having a massage. What do you think? He ended up with a happy ending or something. Does he think he's in the wrong wrong country? I mean, like, we're talking about a sports massage where Aleish Spargo was trying to get rid of the massive aches and pains that you have. And of course, all that compounds by the time you get to a Sunday. Um, I don't know why I went on about that, but I'm just saying, again, <laughs> on a point of view, that Sundays are tough. And uh, sometimes you're not in the condition you want to be in when you get to a race day. It will certainly be very strange to see Mugello without any fans, as you're saying, Keith. I mean, usually, if you don't, well, if you want to fly out the night of the race, you almost have to leave. You see people leave before the flag drops, because if you wait for the end of the race, there's a traffic jam and you're not going to get back to the airport wherever it, probably Milan or somewhere like that. Bologna, if you're lucky. Um, so, you know, to see it in two weeks time on, on TV without any no fans, noise. Yeah, no, no fans, no flares. No, it's, it's going to be very strange. It'll be like, I don't know, like a, it, it's, a, it, you wonder how, I mean, you've obviously been there a lot longer than me, Keith, but you, you almost wonder 
it's such a beautiful sort of place where it's in. You wonder how did they ever get permission to build a racetrack here? Um, but oh, it's Italian. Goodness, thank goodness they did. Yes, because it's uh, it, you know it's unbelievably you know scenic place to be. And thank so, heaven for Ferrari. If Ferrari hadn't spent the money on it, it would be a dump because it is in a place that's not used that often. So the fact that Ferrari use it as a test track and it's a motorbike track as well. I mean, actually, Formula One found it, didn't they? In their in their troubles in the pandemic, suddenly they found you know uh, Portimao and, uh, and Mugello. Now they all want to go back there every bloody time because they've got a couple yeah. of decent tracks on the calendar rather than some Tilka built thing that that's got a load of hairpins in it, <laughs> like where we're going in uh, like. Cota, for instance, Circuit of the Americas. I mean, five hairpins, five bottom gear corners in one circuit. Hang on. <laughs> anyway, we can go well, on another story there, Harry. I think we can. Well, I think, though, we will have to put a pin in it just for the moment. But, but never fear, because we do do this every week. So that we always get to chat about something at least uh, once a week. Uh, but we will leave it there for today's show. Keith, Pete, a pleasure as ever. Make sure, though, you let us know your thoughts, uh, if you have any, uh, on the race uh, and any questions uh, you have as well i'm more than happy to put them to the guys so leave them in the comments below or drop us a message on the crash moto gp socials moto gp is back in action in a couple of weeks time in italy as we've been saying uh, sadly with no fans but the sooner i think we can get fans in the stands the better for everybody we will be back same time next week so in the meantime make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave us a review and stay up to date with all the very latest moto gp news on crash.net a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.